Thanks for tuning in to Why Life Science, a podcast produced by the BYU Life Science Museum at Brigham Young University. I'm Katie Knight. And I'm Austin Lambert. Our mission here at the Life Science Museum is to inspire wonder, understanding, and reverence for our evolving planet. So with this podcast, we are here to bring you stories and interviews about life science research and projects going on in the College of Life Sciences at BYU and in the local community. Visit our website, lsm.byu.edu, for more information and to access notes from each episode. Welcome to the Why Life Science podcast. Today, we're extremely excited to be joined by a special guest. We're recording this just before homecoming week, and the College of Life Sciences is giving an honored alumnus award, and there will be a seminar by uh, Dr. Erlene Durant. So that's who we have here with us. And I think her former students call her Dr. D. Dr. D. Dr. D. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so uh, this is published, of course, quite a bit after, but that's why Dr. D is in town, and we are excited to be able to have the opportunity to record this uh, interview. So... Dr. D, if you want to give us an introduction about who you are and and maybe some of your great accolades that has uh, given you this opportunity to be given such an honor from the College of Life Sciences. Well, to start with, I I have a difficult time talking about myself. As an undergraduate at this university, I never, ever, in my wildest dreams, ever thought that I would be an honored alumnus. I was privileged to be an undergraduate student here and complete my graduate work, and I was honored to be selected and and hired as a full-time faculty member. And that in itself was probably the greatest blessing that ever occurred in my life. This university has given me so very, very much, and I hope in some small way I've given back to the university in a positive way, not only to, to the faculty I worked with, the colleagues I've had all over campus, but more particularly to the students who come to this university, wanting to accomplish great goals uh, that they've set in their lives. And as a faculty member, I hope that I was able to help them achieve those goals. So I guess that's why I feel tremendously honored for this, this great uh, honor that I'm going to receive in another week. Well, I think obviously you have made big impressions and inf- had a big influence on your students, or, or this wouldn't have happened. Someone nominated you. Someone chose you. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. In fact, was it just a few months ago, the college has been highlighting women in science, uh, and not just BYU-affiliated women, but all women, and you were chosen, and they had buttons and stickers, and it was pretty cool. I, I ran over and grabbed some because Erlene's a personal friend of mine, and so I'm pretty, <laughs> I'm pretty proud of her for this, this all of her accomplishments and, and what she's done. And to say the Life Science Magazine published an article right. when that was happening, we'll, we'll include that link in the uh, show notes because yeah, everyone sure. should go read that as well. Appreciate that. So... You said you were hired as a faculty and, and you did your undergrad and some graduate work here. What was that in? What was the uh, um, study area that you were in at BYU? I came to BYU because I wanted to teach physical education. And the best program 
in the entire United States at that time was here at BYU. It was known throughout the United States as the best teacher preparation program in physical education. And that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to teach physical education. About what year was this? Oh my gosh, that's ancient history. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're talking probably about um, 60, 61, well, 1963. Okay, cool. 63, 64. And I got my bachelor's degree, and um, I was in physical education and health science. Then my master's degree uh, was in health education again with some physical education, but also there was an area of exercise phys and anatomy and physiology. And so I got my master's degree, and I stayed on as a GTA. Uh, again, that preparation was, was great for me to go out into the public schools. And I taught. So what's a GTA exactly? A graduate teaching assistant. Oh, okay. And so I was able to teach undergraduate physical education classes, which was my dream. Yeah. So... At the completion of the master's degree, I went to the public schools. I taught at Washington Junior High School in Ogden, Utah, which is an interesting uh, story in itself. And then I was hired back at the Brigham Young High School Lab School, which now it was on lower campus. And I was able to teach grades K through 12 in physical education. And that lab school was associated with the university. And so you were actually a faculty member at that time. Is this the old B.Y. High? B.Y. High, That's right. now a Provo Library. Right. Okay. B.Y. High. After that experience, Dr. Leona Holbrook called me into her office, and she said, Erlene, there's an opening at the, at the Church College of Hawaii. They need a women's physical education department chair. And uh, I thought thought about it, but if Dr. Holbrook was mentoring me to take that position, I needed to take it, which was called the Church College of Hawaii, which is now BYU Hawaii, and I spent six years there. Then I returned to the campus here, pursued my doctorate degree. And your doctorate degree was athletic training? Or? No. Okay. My doctorate degree was in administration uh, had administration and again anatomy and physiology and physical education, because there wasn't an athletic training program. Nope. There was nothing here. So I guess from physical education to, I guess like after that, what was the next area that you went into? It. I mean, Katie sounds like she's telling me that it's <laughs> athletic training, but uh, maybe how did you get into that? Well, I returned to campus and. It was during the, the time when Title IX, which meant equal opportunity for female athletes across the board. And I was the only female that had ever taped an ankle. And so I was given the charge to develop an athletic training program for the female athlete on this campus. And that's what I was charged to do. So we started with the Title IX being the emphasis for all this. And after a year of very hard work, I was called in again to the department chair's office, and they said, Erlene, we want you to develop an undergraduate curriculum program in athletic training. And what that meant was that we could have undergraduate students 
who wanted to complete that degree. So I was charged with that, which I worked years on to complete. The undergraduate level program was super. Then we were charged from the national level to develop a master's program, which took some time to develop. And then we developed the PhD. And so I was involved in undergraduate development and graduate development of the athletic training program. And it started from nothing. From taping ankles. From I mean, that's... taping one ankle, <laughs> I was given the charge. Whose was the first ankle that you taped? That was a young man from Samoa at the Church College of Hawaii. And did you have any idea what that could possibly be no. uh, leading into? No. So how common were athletic training programs, especially for like women, throughout the rest of the country at this time? Was there anything or was BYU, I mean, you said they were po- the, the best in physical education at the time. Was the development of this athletic training program also pioneering? Yes. At the time that this was being developed, you have to understand, there were no females. There was no females in the profession other than five women in the United States. Wow. And, and at that time, the, the facilities were all male-dominated. In other parts of the country, women were allowed minimal access to those male facilities. But there was no way that was going to happen here at BYU. That took a lot of, of work, a lot of understanding, a lot of... I mean, I can't even describe the hours that were spent in making sure that everybody was on board, that everybody was happy with what we were doing. Because you just didn't put co-ed facilities at BYU. So across the United States, it was still limited at that time. So at the time I entered athletic training, there were only five other women in the United States involved. And how did you connect with them? Like, how did you know them? Well, the only way we connected was at national conventions. They were all back east, except for Arizona. There was one woman in Arizona. And, you know, at that time, we didn't have emails. We didn't have Zoom. We didn't have anything other than a telephone. Again, all of my mentors in the very beginning were men. Mm -hmm. As you spent time trying to then develop this novel program, what were some of the most important elements to you? What, what did you want to, first and foremost, create as this undergrad program? I hope I'm not being too prideful. The one <laughs> thing that I wanted was that this program was the best in preparation of students. That when they left this program, they were totally prepared to go anywhere in the United States and find employment. So that was the main goal. So in developing it, we had to have the finest faculty, which was me in the beginning. I don't know how fine that was, but me. <laughs> and then in order to, to receive accreditation for our program, we had to have the support across campus because we had to have a microbiology class. We had to have a physics class. We had to have a food science nutrition class that had to be developed in other departments for our major. And so there was a lot of work that had to be done to sell the program 
to other departments and colleges on campus. And that took a lot of work. But You had to build a lot of relationships. Uh, absolutely. And, and they are lifetime relationships. Uh, the woman, Dr. Shauna Anderson, taught the microbiology class. She became a dear friend of mine through that opening. And we served as department chairs together. And uh, we're still good friends. So there were friendships developed because of this. But what happened is that they were all on board with the goal that our students would be the best prepared, which they were and still are. Well, I want to get into some fun stories, but <laughs> but I, I, before we do that, I'll let Austin lead into that because I'm sure you have stories about all the ankles and, and sports and just all, you know. But anyway, I want to know where is the BYU athletic training program now today? I know you have some of your former students working in the department but what's it look like now? Well, our last accreditation, from what I understand, I think a year ago, they passed with flying colors. They had no deficiencies, nothing. And that was particularly the undergraduate level. The graduate programs are not accredited, but they're degrees that a person can receive and go out and serve as a program director or a head trainer. They, they come to get the advanced degree, which gives them a higher standing in their in the job market. Right. Our undergraduate program is still very solid. The practical experience they get with teams is excellent. Do you have any idea of how many students are in the program? Or? I really don't. I don't have a count now. At, okay. At one time in 1992-93, we had over 100 students in the major. Wow. I think we would all be interested in hearing about your experience. I mean, did you work with some of the sports teams then on campus Absolutely. as you were developing the program? And uh, I mean, you've got to have some good stories from <laughs> those interactions. I, I'll share this one. And, and you asked the question, I worked with every athletic team. There wasn't one female athlete I didn't work with. And once we became co-ed, I worked on football players. I worked on all male athletes. But I was selected one time to be Cosmo. <laughs> I did not know this. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I, was, I, I imagine you're the inspiration then for these stunts that we see every football game now. <laughs> I, was, uh, the co- I was Cosmo for the women's basketball game. That day I, I made some excuse that I had to have my assistant take care of them because I was somewhere else and... So I, I got in the, and I'm not kidding you, that was the hottest outfit I've ever been in. <laughs> and the, the head was humongous. But anyway, I was Cosmo, and I tried to stay away from the women on the basketball team. But then I thought, oh, I'll go in their huddle. So I went in their huddle, and they were doing their, so I put my hand in on top of all of theirs. And every one of those girls looked down at Cosmo <laughs> and said, Dr. D, is that you? <laughs> so I, I blew my, my cover, but thought, yeah, it was Cosmo. We should probably mention that Erlene's not the tallest person. <laughs> no. So the, just seeing a really 
uh, short Cosmo might give it away right there. <laughs> was the Cosmo costume like really baggy then as well? or? Well, it's interesting because they tried to take it in a little bit to fit me better. And, and the interesting thing is you really can't see down with that thing on your head, the Cosmo. And I, I tripped, bam, <laughs> coming out on the floor to start with. How did this happen? Who talked you into it? <laughs> I'm trying to think. The cheerleader advisor at the time. Okay. And she she approached me a month in advance, and I said, there's no way <laughs> I'm going to be Cosmo. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it was interesting. I've watched Cosmo with little people, mm. and those, those little kids were all over me, like yeah. grabbing your tail, grabbing. I mean, they were just enthralled with Cosmo. That was a great experience with them. <laughs> I think you can understand, as she's mentioned, I'm fairly short in stature. And so you have a Tina Gunn who's six feet tall, and Hampson, uh, she was 6'3", and all those girls, huge, tall. And so here I am putting a thigh wrap on, their thigh, and my nose is right at the thigh, and their body is clear up above. <laughs> anyway, it, some of those were interesting experiences with those tall girls. In my talk a week from today, I talk about some interesting experiences, but I think that the greatest experience, and there are, there are all so, so many, many funny experiences, but I think the funniest one was when we were finally moved into our brand new huge facility, and the girls had no clue what to do with all the space. I walked in, and we had eight training tables and they had been so confined, all the female athletes were sitting on two training tables. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't know what to do. Yes. So was this the Smithfield House? or Yes. Okay. Yeah. Did you then, like, were you involved in the development of some of the uh, injury treatment that athletes might face? Or were you also doing research into how to, you know, push forward the science of athletic training? Well, one of the requirements to become a full professor at BYU is you have to do research. We were doing a lot of research in ice treatment, heat treatment. Uh, we did a lot of research in um, ultrasound treatment. This is a modality you use. We did a lot of research in, in wound healing. But you have to understand that at the very beginning, you were involved in the prevention, the immediate care, the rehabilitation of the athlete. So we had systems in place, you know, you know standard systems to heal an injury. But the research that we did then was cutting edge. There was uh, ice treatments were being used, but we proved some of them were not legitimate. And if I can just jump ahead a little bit, right now, our athletic training sports medicine people are on the cutting edge internationally with research because of our research facilities here now. So, yes, I was involved. Um, I, there's a lot of publications, um, even with weight training for the female athlete. You didn't see a female in a, in a weight room lifting weights. Now, it's just commonplace. I was able to write a book in weight training, and, and at that time, um, 
people just question it because we are talking about really aggressive strength training for the female athlete. So how did you deal with uh, you're fighting some of these, you know, cultural customs that have been in place for such a long time? Right. And, and I, I mean, with Title IX, the whole idea was shifting pretty dramatically. But how did you personally deal with some of those, like, I mean, the charge to, to change what's accepted as, as, you know, what we do? As a young man, uh, I would hope that you now, at the age you are, have an understanding of what I mean by a male-dominated world. And when I entered this field, it was totally male-dominated. And I guess my personality, I never had a problem dealing with men. I'm just me. I treated them as colleagues. I listened to them. I openly discussed the problems that we had. It was interesting that the majority came on board over time. Didn't happen overnight, but over time. But there were two or three that just held out. They were just the old boy. And, you know, they just could not vision women in their facility. And you have to understand, too, that a lot of things had to change in how the male athlete came into the training room. Their attire. The women I had no trouble with. But it took time for the male athlete to realize they had to dress a little bit differently to come in. So it took a lot of give and take. It took a lot of hours of me prepping and understanding what really needed to change and not change, what we could deal with and what we couldn't deal with as we combined. I found it hard sometimes, but I found it easy if I could understand where the male person was coming from, which I feel that I did. So I think that helped this gel together. Plus the fact is they hired a male trainer, George Curtis. To this day, I can't thank him enough because he came in and he saw the vision and he was really instrumental in us becoming co-ed. I think what I also heard in what you said is that it took a lot of work and time. Like it was a gradual process and you would, you know, pick your battles at certain times and progress was made, but it was slow. And the athletic trainers today, especially the females, have a lot to thank you for. Well, it took a lot of effort. And like everything that you do, you can't do it alone. I think once they caught the vision of what we could be, again, at Brigham Young University, a leader in a field, again, with so many areas on campus that were leaders then, I think when they finally were able to see that vision, the holdouts were the minority. Right. And majority ruled. Another thing I want to tell you about Arlene is that she's a really good golfer. <laughs> she's been my mentor. Every time I golf, if I'm with Arlene, I, I sit on the cart with her, and she tells me to keep my head down, and she'll, <laughs> she'll watch the ball for me. <laughs> That's another area that uh, I thoroughly enjoyed teaching the skills classes, beginning intermediate golf, gymnastics, swimming, Again, I was a physical educator, and so I thoroughly enjoyed those classes. I guess I enjoy 
still in a way, some small way, teaching. So yeah, of course. That's why you get uh, <laughs> a few lessons on the course. <laughs> are there ways that you're still involved in the program now, or are you teaching in some aspect? Or well, I mean, you've definitely you've definitely given uh, your all already to the program. So anything now is just a, a bonus for everyone else. So. <laughs> For several years after I retired, I did a lot of consulting throughout the United States, again in Canada. And one aspect, you have to have accredited programs. You have to have a team come in like and do an accreditation. And so, again, I was fortunate to be selected as an accreditation officer for undergraduate and graduate master's programs. And so I did that for several years after. And then... In my mind, I thought, you know, there's other things I'd like to be doing, but even more important than that is that the young professional needed the opportunity to do what I was doing. As long as I was doing that, there was a young professional that wasn't being mentored or allowed to to do the accreditations. So that's why I stopped. Every once in a while, I get a call from here, you know, what do you think, Dr. D? And particularly during COVID. This is interesting. I got a call from Carolyn Billings during COVID. And she said, Dr. D, you did not teach us what to do with COVID. (laughs) (laughs) And Carolyn Billings is a current athletic trainer. She works with the soccer team, is that right? Soccer, yes. Okay. (laughs) Yes, she's a former student. I can't believe you didn't think of that. I didn't. (laughs) Epidemic? Who would have thought of that? So that was a funny call I got. Dr. D. I'll never forget that. Yeah, one of my favorite things is if I see a person down that works in the Richards building or the Smithfield house and they are in athletic training, I just say, hey, do you know Erlene Durant? And they all say, Dr. D. <laughs> <laughs> With all that you've taught to your students and as you develop the program, uh, we like to always talk about you know, the bigger why, why it's important to you. And I mean, you've already touched on some of these ideas, but at BYU, we also touch on the spiritual side of things. And so for you, as you navigated your career and got moved from physical education to athletic training and things like that, at the end of the day, why was the education and and that side of what you were doing important to you? Well, I always and still do view the students that come to this university are children of our Father in Heaven. And as a faculty member, I was charged by my Father in Heaven to teach them the academic skills they needed, but to also live my life so that they spiritually were taught in my classes. And my philosophy of teaching, I think, will answer this question. My philosophy of teaching is I am third. Every day that I came to this university, the number one person in my life was my father in heaven. Number two was a student. And number three was me. So I don't know if that answers your question. It's beautiful. It's perfect. I think it absolutely does. Yeah. Those are your priorities right there. Yes. Well, I think if we all keep that in mind, to put God first and then those around us, whether it's a faculty member or a student thinking of others and I think that's a a good way to lift yourself to 
who knows, maybe one day be the honored alumnus. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and if you do that, I never, ever wanted the student to question my testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Never. Never should they have questioned that. And again, at this university, which is so beautiful, I never started my classes here without a prayer. And we are lucky that we have that Absolutely. privilege to do to do yeah. that. Absolutely. Well, Dr. D, it's been such a pleasure to be able to, to talk with you and to hear of your experiences, talk about all that you've done for the College of Life Sciences and, and building the programs into what they are today. And uh, Katie, do you have anything else that I'm you want to I'm just grateful to you for your friendship and for being a mentor in my life yeah. and also the, the tips on the, on the golf course. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, thanks for coming. Yeah, thank you. You're welcome.